Mealtime inspiration. It's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
And welcome back to another special edition of the Michael Deacon program. It's good to see you again. We are back to do it again. And you have returned for a second dose of the Michael Deacon program. I don't blame you. The show is uh, rather addicting. I heard it's uh, pretty addicting to listen to as well. Not my words. It's just what I heard. Either way, welcome back. I hope you missed me. I missed all of you. And of course, reporting to you live from the wastelands of California, way out here, where you don't want to be. First time listeners out there, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to meet all of you. I hope you enjoy your stay. And my co-host won't be here tonight, but I am joined by the man of the hour, Mr. Brad Olson, who is patiently waiting. Let's bring him right in before we do anything else. Need to keep the man waiting. What's going on, Brad? How are you? Hey, Michael. I'm doing great. It's good to be back on the program and talk to you. We always have such a wonderful conversation. You know, we, we really do. These times are always pretty incredible. I, I listen back to our shows, and they're always fun. And tonight, I hope to make it a, another interesting uh, show with you, an interesting conversation here for all to enjoy. And uh, Brad, what's been going on with you? Yeah, I'm up here in the northern part of that wasteland we call California, and I'm plotting my escape to get out of here at the end of the year. Got uh, some acreage out in Nevada, moving to the Silver State, and uh, staking a homestead claim. No way, you're leaving California. Audi. Wow. Love this place. Don't love the politics. Well, I don't either. That That's the only bad thing about California. Well, and the taxes as well. That's what really kills kills us all. No state income tax in the Silver State. Ooh, lucky. Yeah. Hey, we're not too far away. We'll have to uh, bring you up. Yeah, you know, I would like that. Artists in residence at the Rancho. At the Ranch. We'll do a live Michael Deacon program from there. That'd be great. And, of course, you own a publishing company and you are a respected author. And your books are widely popular. Yeah, I try to produce the kind of books that I would treasure myself, that I'd be proud to put on my bookshelf. And indeed, I reference my own books quite frequently just to get dates and details and things that I researched and put in them. And the Beyond Esoteric is the latest in the series of the Esoteric series, also called Escaping Prison Planet. Because so many of these subjects have been withheld from humanity, and it's really telling how much has been kept from us and for what reasons why, but also including our ancient history. And evidence is coming out all the time that we had a very ancient civilization on this planet that was very high tech, had a lot of tools that we're still playing catch up and lifted weights that some of our biggest cranes are still struggling to lift. So there was a certain kind of technology that has been lost that is now being rediscovered, but we can find that evidence in the record, in the stones, the megaliths, and even the uh, skeletons. Where I'm putting uh, my homestead, Michael, in northwestern Nevada, is also the extinct lake that once was there during the last ice age called Lake Lahotian. 
And not far away from where I'm at, less than 20 miles away, is Spirit Cave, where they were finding giants, not only of 8, 9, 10 feet height, but mummified with red hair. So human-like, but not quite human, right here in our backyard and the other locations, uh, Lovelock Cave, halfway across Nevada. And you can go to that cave, and there's plaques describing the people that they found in these caves. But every time I've inquired in the Winnemucca or the Lovelock Museums, oh, one of those giant guys again, and they dismiss me outright. But there's plenty of evidence, including photographs and artifacts that come from this giant race that lived in northern Nevada 12,000 years ago. That reminds me of uh, L.A. Marzulli, by the way. Mm. Yeah, he does a lot of work on the giants, too. Quite a fascinating subject. It really is. Red-headed giants, by the way, for those that are wondering what exactly are we referring to. But yes, that is in itself pretty unusual. It's extremely unusual. And the fact that the Kennewick Man, which is found in Washington State, was so well-preserved, it was originally treated as a missing person or a recent homicide or mysterious death until they found out that he was wearing all these uh, clothes and hunting implements that were fashioned back in the day. Turns out the guy was thousands of years old and a Caucasian. So history uh, has been edited quite a bit, Michael, as I think you know. Oh, yeah. I always always say on this program, Brad, how on earth will historians remember this specific time, this period in time, rather? Yeah, we're going to come across as a little bit kooky, but also a little bit advanced. (laughs) A little bit of both. It's just uh, one of those things you contemplate every now and then, and you're just thinking, well, good Lord, you know, we've lived through this weird, strange period of time. And uh, you have to wonder how these historians will remember this time, whether it will be in a positive light or entirely negative. I mean, we both we, we, we've had the best of both worlds, I would say. It's been good. It's been bad. But everything happens in cycles. So I, I kind of believe we're due for another um, we're, we're due for something pretty awful to happen pretty soon here. It could be pretty awful. It could be pretty amazing. There could be a mass disclosure event. That would blow the lid off of really everything we think we know who we are on this planet and who's been visiting or perhaps has always been here the whole time of advanced civilizations. So it could be a beautiful time to be alive, but on the same edge, we're on the razor's edge here, could flip-flop the other side and become the worst kind of fascism we'd ever imagined in George Orwell's worst nightmare. And uh, Brad, just to uh, sort of stay, you know, current here, what do you make of um, these current, uh, the past midterms that we just had? Yeah. Uh, let's just say who in their right mind <laughs> could vote for the same that we've already seen how destructive it's been in the last two years. And that does not just single out the president or the pretendency of this guy. But it looks like we got another stolen one on our hands. I really hope the military and the White Hats can make a move here soon because I'm beginning to think that this cabal globalist group has a lot more power and control than 
we thought they had. So something has got to happen on the positive side here, or I'm going to be hunkering down on my ranch, and you might not hear from me for well, a while. You're, you're quite lucky. You get, you get to escape California, and I know you're not a political sort of guy. Neither am I. Uh, I'm not, again, I, I always say this on the show, too. I'm not affiliated with any political group at all, but, you know, I'm sort of uh, don't lean to the left or the right. I think I'm kind of too extreme for any side, I would say. Well, that's a good place to be. I would say so. It's better being this way than aligning yourself to a group. But so many people out there already do that by default. Um, but uh, to be honest with you, Brad, I, I really can't support the Democratic Party. To be completely honest with you, they are a much different party than they were back in the 90s, for instance. Uh, there are certainly no Kennedy Democrats anymore. Far and few between. But as I was saying, how could you agree with the last two years where things have gone? It's been bad. Two fifty gas to close to seven up here in California. And uh, Brad, have you given up on voting completely yet, or are you still trying to live the American dream, as they say, where your vote counts and you have power? I do still vote. You I still vote? Oh no, Brad. I know, but what's the difference? We opt out, so. Uh, it might be yeah, totally illusionary, but I went and did it anyways. I used to work when I lived in San Francisco. I used to work as an elections inspector. I was the top guy in. Oh, really? The yeah. So I know elections pretty well. And there were a lot of safeguards. But when I discovered what can be done with these Dominion machines mm. and what are okay. they there for? You got to ask yourself, for one, some of them were seen to be connecting to the internet. Why does it need to do that? What do we need these machines for other than to calculate really quickly so we can have results by that night? Otherwise, these machines are obsolete and just there to rig the system. And while I saw how the Dominion machine worked and turned over the cartridge and the ballots to different departments, that you can game the system and we have to ask ourselves, why are we even using these machines? We just need to simply tabulate. You can do that without uh, having any kind of electronic component that connects to the Internet. That part of it makes it a total scam. Right. Right. And knowing this, you still voted, though. Yeah, I did. OK, well, you know, <laughs> no one's perfect. Call me it's a, joke. Uh, it's a joke. <laughs> believer in the system. Somehow it could rectify itself. and. As the only civic duty that we really have, I threw my ballot in the hat. I hear you. I hear you. It's better to stay crazy, though, in my opinion, than align yourself with the other crazy folks out there that believe uh, either the person on the left or the right is the next messiah. Yeah, that part is bunk, and any federal voting is probably totally rigged. I think really the only good thing about voting now is you can make hopefully a difference on local That's issues. That's what I think. Maybe on the local scale, you can probably make a difference. But when it comes to a national, broader sort of scale, that's when the waters get a little murky. And I certainly didn't want to vote for Navin Gruesome, Ooh. vote for his opponent, just yeah. whoever he was. How could it be that a governor who almost got, uh, he should have been, there's another rigged vote, was recalled a year and a half ago. Oh, he won big. Now again, he won big. Ugh, Pelosi's nephew, whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Well, now that I know that, um, Brad, you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't remember ever asking you how 
you got interested in all these sort of subjects that you write about, especially like in Beyond Esoteric, for instance, a great book that you've written, Escaping the Prison Planet. Love the book. And I just wonder, how exactly did you get into all this sort of a research early on, Brad? Was there a specific sort of event that made you start uh, wondering and questioning things, or were you always sort of like that as a youth? Always like that as a youth. I see. Very curious mind, wanting to figure out why things weren't working so well on this planet. Why is this a prison planet? Why aren't we living in a utopia, really? We have the the minds and the will and the desire to live in a perfect world where there is no war anymore or no strife or nobody gets thrown under the bus going to bed starving tonight like one in five humans. It's ridiculous, the inequalities. So that got me started at an early age as well as traveling around the world. And I've had the great honor and privilege to have self-financed all my trips. I've been, now been to all seven continents so I have a global worldview, and it was while I was traveling around the world, backpacking around for three years, I left the country in the early 90s, taught English in Japan, and financed that trip, finding myself attracted to these mysterious places, and many of which still can't be explained. So that's esoteric in the way that our history has been withheld from us. As Voltaire said, history is the Mississippi of lies. Or as other historians would say, history is always written by the winner. Right. So whoever wins a world war, yeah, it's going to be their history, and we're all going to learn it in school. Right. And uh, Brad, as you know, we are sort of at a very interesting point in history where we are kind of seeing a worldwide uh, conflict, a sort of, you're starting to see the water starting to boil over and over. I think we're getting close to a tipping point where we might see another great war and um, I'm not sure wh- how you feel about that. Do you think the media is sort of just ramping this thing sort of um, to a meteoric, a meteoric sort of rise rather than, you know, being honest about what's going on? Well, they are. The, the, everybody has to understand the media is bought, paid for, and owned by the globalists. So if you really want to get the globalist perspective, click on that network news every night. And the globalists will tell you exactly how they want you to think, that there was no steal Those are baseless claims. No, it's not. Where are the journalists in this country? They're gone. Journalism is dead. And I fancy myself a journalist and did a lot of travel writing and my book series. And why is it that we have to now go to the alternative media to get good information? Because it's been bought and paid for. We've lost the First Amendment in this country as far as the mass media giving a fair and balanced perspective. Everything is inverted. It's unfair and very biased is our mainstream media towards the globalist perspective. So that has to be done away with. The corporate ownership of the media cannot continue if we're ever to believe it or use it again. It's a great tool, but so is the internet. Uh, And now that we see Pretty hardcore censorship coming into the internet. This is the we're the last stand here, Michael. It's we got to continue this spirit of free speech and be able to speak our minds because that's the First Amendment. It's the God-given right that we all have to be articulate and tell our opinion, even if I don't agree with your perspective. I believe it's your right to say it. 
And if we lose that, then it's going to be, again, Orwell's worst nightmare. Yes, hopefully we uh, don't uh, get to that point. It kind of seems like we are sort of reaching that point right now. It's a strange time, as uh, as cliche as that may uh, be for a lot of people out there, but these are quite interesting times. And I always just wonder, Brad, how long will this last? How long will we be able to talk to each other like this before someone gets uh, really offended and just shuts everything down? Yeah, and there supposedly is an internet kill switch. And, That's what uh, they say, you know. Bathhouse Barry still has the code, supposedly. Bathhouse Barry? <laughs> Barry Satoro. Oh, I see. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, and my dad was a member of this pretty well-to-do health club out there. And I heard it firsthand from some of his wealthy friends that they remember Bathhouse Barry doing the cruise scene at this high-end resort and he was being groomed and no he kidding. was called Perry back then too yes of course you're referring to barack obama yeah that guy barry yes I barry. For him twice so just goes to show <laughs> you can't get your boat back but yeah that guy um hmm. he was bathhouse barry he's gay michelle's a man there i said it wow well now uh, the show is over for sure <laughs> oh boy well thanks brad um i i believe we are done here this evening now the show has been ended but no hopefully we we remain here and everything is good but yes i've been hearing these sort of rumors for a long time that michelle obama is actually a man i, I don't know how true that is but you know i have seen strange videos of her dancing around and uh you know things are f flopping around that's all i can say here little junk in the trunk yeah i mean well you know i call her big mama michelle by the way <laughs> i call her big mike that was the big Secret mike. Service nickname oh and, uh oh my. remember uh joan rivers blurted it out on a gorilla interview she was dead 30 days later so that was verboten no longer free speech it'll get you killed she uh, went under the, <laughs> to get a very simple procedure she got all the plastic surgery done you know and they said, oh, well, we, we got a, a new doctor coming in, and we're going to have to put you under. She never woke up from the anesthesia until so they got Joan Rivers. Big Grimes in the chat room says uh, she's handsome. <laughs> Who, Big Mike? Big Mike, Big Mama Michelle, yes. Big, Big Mike, Mama Michelle, yeah. So everything's inverted, Michael. That's what I think your listeners are very savvy and can understand, that everything good has been perverted. Yes, there's everything a strange right agenda uh, currently going on right now, which is... I think we kind of already know what sort of agenda I'm talking about. And there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. But it's it's the fact that it gets uh, shoved down our throats, no pun intended. It's just one of those uh, strange things to see, especially with uh, young children now. Um, it's starting to uh, go into the public schooling system where, you know, they want young kids to sort of choose their own sexual preference and identity and so forth it's a little odd so yes things are inverted in so many different ways and that's the whole nature of occultism cultism just means that which is hidden and in occultism on this prison planet those controllers who want to have a hand on what our civilization is and what it does that's why the narrative controlling the narrative is more important than anything else 
So, of course, they had to buy up all the mass media. They knew the power of that, so they control the narrative. But now the cracks are breaking, and we're starting to see things for the way they really are. Because you can only dress up uh, the truth in lies and disinformation, and it's like lipstick on a pig. But that stuff all falls away eventually. And what you still have is the pillar of truth that remains. That's why this resonates with people. That's why the alternative media and programs like yours are so popular. You're probably even competing with CNN in ratings right now because people are waking up and they want to hear the truth. They want to hear reality. They're sick of it getting glossed over in some marketing slick presentation. This is the raw, real truth that we need to continue having a discussion about. I agree, but you know CNN, they are also a a, a tie-in of media. Well, yeah, corrupting the masses. Sure, totally. Now we know that, and that's why we turn it off and turn away from it. It's it's a joke. If you if you here's a little experiment. Anybody that still watches TV, turn it off for a couple weeks. Just don't watch it. Then turn it on again, and you will see what mind control goes into it. It really is like that movie, They Live. That's a great film, by the way. Oh, it's a great film. It's a cult film. Love it's it. It's a meme generator. But, you know, I agree with you, Brad, but, you know, the, the problem is that what we're, we are in the minority, though. You know, we're such a small group of ants, and, you know, the majority of them still watch a TV, unfortunately. There's a great deal, a, gr- a great demographic, I should say, of uh, people out there that still blindly follow everything in the mainstream media and then we'll leave it wholeheartedly. Oh, yeah. That's why we had the whole uh, scare with, you know, the uh, C word. Yeah, right. It was all concocted. It was all fake. They all fell for it. I mean, we saw those videos back on Twitter, back on TV of everyone falling over and dying. And, uh, you know, I'm guilty of saying, you know, I'm guilty of uh, crossing my fingers, hoping that it would actually happen here because I thought it was kind of cool. I thought it was like a, sure. a, I thought it was like a zombie film. So I was, <laughs> I was, I was pumped up. On the streets I was so pumped up and it didn't happen. <laughs> well, it didn't happen. And that should be a very telltale sign. Look, we went into lockdown for how long? A year and a half? A year and a half. Uh, it was really to get people to take the whack to doodle. That's what it was all about from the get go. That had been in development for a decade. Uh, for, for many, many moons, it was already being um created in lab and you know sadly everyone fell for it again i mean they were saying early on that you take this sort of um, thing in your arm and you're cured you'll never get it again and they were saying that all over the place see once again inverted (laughs) very very the opposite is true so i'm glad you have not given uh yourself away to um this call this uh this creation of sorts um brad Kidding me? I'm human 1.0, baby. Pure blood all the way. Organic human. I'm glad. I'm glad you are uh, safe from uh, this uh, liquid. Yeah, I think uh, there there is going to be a period where human 2.0 breaks off. Perhaps I'm even speaking, uh, should be speaking in past tense. It's already happened. And if you look at what a lot of the futurists who have seen Earth's future say, yeah. including Al Bielik, who said in the year 2350 that there had been a great cataclysm on the surface, that the planet or the continent had split along the New Madrid fault line, and there was a great chasm between the two sides of the continent. 
He said in 2350, the big news of the day is they had just finished the many mile long bridge to connect the two uh, southern parts of the continent. But he also said that the planet had been severely depopulated, that it was at about 90 percent less humans than there are now. Then you can look at what other people who have used the yellow cube and also met some of the gray aliens, including the tall grays. And they said that these were hybrid part human of our future. Yes, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, that that pretty much uh, shows you how important this period of time is right now, that humanity has made the split right before our very eyes. We already know about all the underground bases and some of the laboratories at Dulce, New Mexico, for example. And I chronicle all this stuff in my book, Beyond Esoteric. So, But when you look at what happens in a few hundred and even a few thousand years from now, that there are two distinct species that emerge from this same Homo sapien group that we were born into. And sure, there's going to be genetic manipulation. There already is with the wackadoodle. That's right. And then that leads to this other species of humans who come back in time right now to ensure that their existence takes place. So that's why the timeline wars, as Kerry Cassidy calls it, is so important to understand what's going on right now, because there are so many different competing agendas right here on planet Earth, some of which hold the very future of certain races of beings. Absolutely. And we'll get into that in a moment here. But Brad, do you believe in God? I believe in in a a higher being. In a higher being. I like putting words to things, because as soon as you speak, spell out or say the word G-O-D, it instantly becomes sub- subjective. So how can we explain that which is inexplicable? But it, there is a higher power that permeates through every living thing. And I grew up an atheist, Michael. I had my wake-up spiritual moment, none other than the very top of the Great Pyramid in Egypt. That's in right, yes. And... That, I climbed up there on a full moon. Not supposed to do that. A little youthful indiscretion. But I had a spiritual awakening at that point. Kid you not. I spoke to my recently deceased grandfather who meant so much to me in life. And there he was saying, look at you. You're living your life. Because I was so sad I couldn't make his funeral when I was teaching English in Japan. And uh, it stuck with me all this time. And I still get goosebumps when I tell the story. So I know it's it's as original and true to me as my own fingerprint is. And we're each unique spiritual entities. I like that bumper sticker. You're not having a human experience, a spiritual experience. You're a spirit having the human experience. I like that. Yeah. And that's why a lot of these, the indigo children and other advanced beings, when they incarnate in this timeline right now on this planet, this prison planet, it's so hard for them, and many of them just want to check out. They can't handle it. But it's it's such a stark duality of good and bad, of right and wrong, and what is controlling this planet. And to answer your original question, that's what got me searching out these esoteric answers. What is it that is truly controlling this planet, and what have they withheld from us? 
and boy, the litany is uh, as long as my three, 400 plus page books. And do you feel you are following the right path in life right now? <clears throat> well, it's pretty easy to understand that if you try to do just good in the world, not just for yourself, not for your family, but even for other people, and even for total strangers and people that you'll never meet. But if you can care for them, if you are in service to all, and if you just do what little you can, even think good thoughts, is all you really have to do to have skin in this game, then you're on the right side of the ledger. Then you're one of those who has the distinct possibility of ascending, making this jump into 5D reality. Now, that's not to say we're going to disappear and everybody's right. going to be different. It's more like what the Buddhists say, before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. But what it'll do is take us into a new mental framework where we're going to have these superhuman abilities that we were born with come back to us. In fact, they're already starting to come back. And by being in this mindset of embracing the higher emotions, love and compassion and gratitude, rather than the fear, the anger, the hatred, you will start to find that these superhuman abilities come back to you and you will be able to manifest much quicker, almost instantly. And this is what I call in this age, the quickening. So it's really a choice people have to make. We live on a planet of free will. We can do whatever we want. But I'm saying if you understand that you're this human having a spiritual experience and uh, you're going to you're going to do your life review of everything you've ever done. So if you created pain and uh, inflicted uh, bad things upon people, heaven forbid you kill somebody, you will have to come back and experience all that and probably be killed by the same person who killed you. Oh, my. It, 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 this is the laws of karma. It goes real deep. It, it's Eastern mysticism, which I studied when I was in India and a good reference book is for people to read Autobiography of a Yogi, where every single chapter is about a different mystic or guru or sadhu in India that was able to tap into their superhuman ability. So we have so much potential, Michael, and we have this great opportunity to act it out in this free will planet. What are you going to choose to do? You're going to choose to help educate and inform people like the Michael Deacon program? Or are you just going to blow it off and play video games and not do anything that helps anyone? It's everybody's own choice. Yes. And the problem is we um, have tr lots of trouble reaching that other demographic out there, the ones that are stuck still in this uh, matrix system, as you like to refer to it, or the prison planet, rather, as you like to <laughs> refer to it as. And um, you know, one of the reasons why I even asked you this question is because our entire history as humankind in terms of primal ancient relationships have always been sort of related to the gray aliens and their interactions on our planet and and the fact that they uh, say that they created us yes do you believe that though personally oh uh, well some of these gray species were very well known to be deceiving and to say things just to make us believe them. Sure. Knowing that they had power over us. So I wouldn't quite quote all the grades 
for what they were saying to be the gospel or the truth. To be the truth, they yes. They have an agenda, and they will serve that agenda even if it means lying or deception because they are in service to self. Their self feels that they're a dying race and they need to extract our DNA. So if they can create a yarn and make us believe whatever they want us to believe, then it's to their advantage. And I often quote William Cooper, which is one of his most famous quotes from the UFO Congress in 1989, where he just dropped the papers from Navy intelligence say, I don't even know if I'm going to walk out of this hall today. He, and he just threw down one of the best UFO speeches of all time. You can still watch the grainy video of, of William Cooper. And he said, it was learned and it is known now that aliens have been manipulating the human race through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. You know, there, there's there's some truth involved in that. I mean, uh, if you go back and uh, look at uh, the jinn, by the way, you know, they're talked about as being these uh, shape-shifting sort of entities. And, well, those are the same attributes as the greys. Yeah, it's really interesting, too. And they're very mischievous and they're very much in service to self. And they're all part of this overreaching archonic network, which a lot of the shaman and the seers of old referred to by different names in different languages, but it all turns out to be the same mischievous spirits that uh, really do feed off of our lower emotional state, such as an anger state or a fearful state or even hatred. They can feed off that energy, and there's even a word for it called louche. So they'll, they like to keep humans in this agitated state. And when you brought up earlier about uh, the war drums beating on a possible World War III. Boy, he couldn't do anything to delight the Arconic Network more than that. To send humans back down to the Stone Age was that old quote that, uh, that Albert Einstein says, is I don't know what weapons they're going to use in World War III, but the weapons of World War IV will be sticks and stones again. I like that, yes. And we'll, we'll destroy ourselves. Right. And, and, but the aliens... The benevolent ETs, those in service to all, have made it quite clear they will not allow a full thermonuclear war to occur. That's and, what they claim, yes. Well, but they've demonstrated it to many of our militaries around the world. A lot of uh, individuals I've met at conferences even, like um, Dan Willis. He was at the original disclosure panel with uh, Dr. Greer in 2001, and other Mark McCallanish and, and others were talking about working at the silos out in the Dakotas and they would get word down in the control panel that uh, there were some UFOs up there. And right at that moment, they just saw all their panels just go blank and they'd run up, they'd see the UFOs and then they shoot off. So there's, they're sending a very potent message. We're not going to let you do that. There was also a video that was shot at Vandenberg Air Force Base when they were doing a test missile and a UFO comes up to it with a beam of light, hits it, zaps it in a few different ways, and then you just see it go out of control and just tumble back to Earth. So they're letting us know they're not going to allow that. What they are concerned with and I'm concerned with is a suitcase bomb or perhaps a biological weapon getting released. And, and that could fly under the radar. But the uh, the full scale, we're shooting Russia and they're shooting back, that's not going to happen. Yeah, let's hope something like that doesn't happen. And 
let's pray, if you believe in that sort of thing, for an alien intervention. Um, so many times you do read about these sort of things, these nuclear plants being sort of um, shut down by these uh, crafts in the sky. And uh, lately, that's been a really hot topic in the media, by the way. UFOs and our government. Is that something to sort of dismiss altogether, Brad? Or is this something we should keep an eye on? Oh, we'll always keep an eye on it. I always find it funny when it makes it to the media. You know, it's gone through so many filters. It's like the grainy video they release. But uh, you got to ask yourself, why now? Why Exactly. But why now? Why all of a sudden is there this uh, interest from the media and the government all, all together? Yeah. So, well, it, I think we both know why. They're drip, 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 drip of disclosure, and they want to control the narrative. So they're keeping us on our toes like, oh, the next video is going to be conclusive. We're going to get to the bottom of it. If only the Navy would just release one more video, we're going to be there. No. The disclosure comes from the bottom up. Disclosure is all of us grokking this subject, looking at the evidence, weighing it. Everybody needs to be not only skeptical and look at what is being presented and weigh the different data points for this, but they also should be looking to the skies and and keeping their heartbeat on the ground because notice how we've always been told, Oh, look to the skies. They're look to the sky. Down. They're going to save us. Yes. What about look underneath your feet? The inner terrestrials. They could have been here the whole time. And they're the ones who have manipulated humanity through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. The gray and Draco reptilian and the archonic network that they're all part of, which is service to self. They wanted to keep humans in control. And that's what the prison planet's all about. And here we are rushing towards advanced technology. I believe it's all part of the gray alien agenda. You know, um, I'm sure, I know you speak about artificial intelligence. And for years, this has been a very tangible and reasonable possibility for concern. But mankind one day will fully merge with machines. And this is already happening now. And I truly believe that this is all part of the gray alien agenda. When you have all these people out there trying to sort of all create one sort of a human form, if you know what I'm talking about with, you know, chopping off uh, the breast and, uh, you know, the lower region there, <laughs> almost like the almost like the grays. Well, that's a good way to depopulate, too, if you take off the genitals and uh, replace them with something else. They're, they're, they want to depopulate one way or another. This is this malevolent et group i do believe are the real generals in all this the rothschilds or rockefellers are more like the colonels and the uh, majors in this fight they're they're not really calling the shots in fact alex collier contactee with the andromedians was just on a conference call with him and elena denan and uh, several others who are uh, direct uh contact with some of these benevolent et races and Alex Collier at the Mount Shasta Summer Conference did a Q&A, come up to the mic, ask him any question. And one question, it was the best one, and it was the shortest one, and he gave the shortest answer. The question was, who controls the earth? Who owns the earth, is what they said. And Alex Collier said, the Anunnaki. End of story. So these malevolent ET groups still have their 
feeling is ownership rights over Earth. And you said it earlier about creating species or the whole notion of panspermia, that it could be coming in with meteorites and populating the planet that way. Well, that's all true, said, and fair, and probably happened. But you can't go from a chimpanzee in the jungles of Africa who just starts walking upright to a homo sapien in the short amount of time that it did for human beings. And even the co-discoverer of DNA, Francis Crick, said that homo sapiens developed so quickly with such an advanced genome, it would be like finding all the parts for a 747 at a garage sale and knowing (laughs) how to put it all together. I like that too. Which is virtually impossible. It is, yes. Uh, How one... Who we are is virtually impossible. That's why I look into the repressed human origins of of humans and giants and all the others uh, that have walked this planet. It is interesting. And I, I for one, am not saying that these grays are organic at all. I think they're these sort of bio-machines, kind of like uh, probes in a way, AI probes. Yeah, AI is is something that uh, some of these contactees would say is just a machine to make things easier. It never makes decisions, especially not anything related to life or death, because if it does, then we're giving it its power over us. Isaac Asimov, the great scientific uh, novelist, he wrote The Laws of Robot Tree. The number one law of robots was you can never harm a human. Well, we've already crossed the Rubicon there because now there are unmanned drones that can even work off a computer program that have killed people. Many people, yes. Yeah. Well, Brad, uh, you know, we are reaching that point where, again, we will be meshing with machine eventually. And my question to you, Brad, is would you uh, volunteer yourself to do something like that? Maybe you can live forever. That's also on the upside there. Would you take the chance of Brad? For being immortal? For being immortal. Let's just say that. Yes. Uh, Let's just say you can merge with machine in, uh, let's say, in 10 years and you have the ability to live forever. Do we want to live forever? Do we want to stay on a prison planet forever? No, I wouldn't take that. That's the question. Do I really want to live forever? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, no, all bodies eventually wear out and die. Even the advanced ET races, even the reptilians. What if you were, Brad, what if you were like RoboCop? (laughs) Nah. You pass. I I think I'm done with this planet, to be honest. You're done with it. Yeah, you're, you're tapping out. You're throwing in the towel. out after this lifetime, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Want to hang out? (laughs) Uh, But you know, Brad. Sometimes I think maybe I would want to take that though. Maybe I want to take that risk and live forever just to see how this island Earth ceases to exist. Will the sun take it out? Will there be a volcano uh, eruption, or 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 worse? What what's going to happen? Are we going to be hit by an asteroid or any sort of thing like that? Do would I want to see that day though? You know, sometimes I. I kind of wonder, maybe I do want to see that just to uh, be there to see what happens. Is, yeah, well, is that crazy? Now. Well, get your time in while you're still young, Michael. 
I think that's kind of a crazy thing uh, to to sort of uh, think about and maybe even want. I'm calling myself crazy, by the way. Well, you can call yourself anything you want. That's true. I think you're a brilliant man. I, I really <laughs> enjoy your conversation. What we call crazy today might become common sense in a couple of years from now. I'm Every just, uh, you know, way. I, you know, I just uh, hope one day we can probably uh, leave this planet and go to another planet, go to Mars, maybe. I think that'd be pretty awesome to see in the future. But again, you know, this is all crazy talk. No, not necessarily. Um, in my book, Future Esoteric, I have a chapter about structures on other planets. And I show photographs of the Cydonia region on Mars, for example. Sure, yeah. And the monolith on Phobos that even Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut, said, we should travel across the solar system and explore. Did you know that there's a moon around Mars every six hours that has a monolith? Why don't we go there and see that? Yeah. So this whole solar system of ours, but also the greater universe and our uh, Milky Way galaxy is very populated with highly advanced. This is what I'm told. Yes, this is what I'm told. And I've been hearing for ages about this, even by a gentleman out there in Sedonia, an old school cat uh, by the name of Tolek. If you remember that, I love that guy. He's awesome. But yeah, he talks about an intergalactical uh, federation of aliens and, you know, all kinds of people talk about, you know, space and all these planets being uh, terraformed and there's, there's booming life everywhere. And, uh, you know, there's even uh, sex trafficking on Mars, according to the late Robert David Steele, which caused uh, quite, a bit of a, quite a bit of a stir there. Even NASA had a comment on that one, which is uh, pretty wild. I don't believe that personally, but uh, some folks do. Yeah, well. That's pretty wild, though, Brad. I don't know if that's going on or not. That's kind of a, a bit of a reach there, the whole trafficking thing. But people being there, it's possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. Maybe it is possible. Well, uh, Michael, I talked to a lot of people at the conferences I speak at. Some of them are coming back from the 20 and back, the secret space program. Now, I can't say every single one of them is telling the truth exactly how they are. Sure. But I'd say if, if a couple of them are, this is a game changer. I mean, we're doing this already. It's been said that our Star Trek future has been hijacked from us. Even the uh, the head of the Skunk Works, he, he was working out there on his deathbed and he had a change of heart. And he said, uh, we have the ET, we have the technology to take ET home and everything you can imagine. We already have it. So this technology is already there. Doing a jump room to Mars has already happened decades ago. And some of these big ships, remember, who is it that hacker in the UK that got in? And this is like the year 2000. Yes. Uh, Gary, uh, you'll remember his name. He, he said he saw a cigar-shaped craft, and inside the craft were humans, like our military, and he saw a register with Gary McKinnon. Gary he McKinnon, yes. The name of... Uh, the names of the officers and there were terrestrial officers and then there were off-planet off officers. officers yes i, I do yeah. remember gary mckinnon you know actually he was supposed to be a guest on this program but he opted out wanting uh not to get into any any more trouble um but yeah he's left a call he's left a few comments here on some of the videos but yes i do believe uh gary mckinnon you know he did spend time so when someone does the time for something of that nature you tend to believe them 
Right. And the fact that the U.S. wanted to get him so bad. Right. Just lock him up in Gitmo or somewhere. And- that guy did it from his uh, girlfriend's computer, by the way. <laughs> God bless his soul. Pretty wild. But yeah, when you hear stories like that, it really makes you wonder, are there really offshore officers out there? Well, what the hell? Did, what was that, actually? You know, it makes you wonder. Yeah. And he, he reported back that uh, that they were they were manufactured here on Earth. And the reason he said that the cigar shaped craft, because he could see mm-hmm. rivets in some of the uh, parts of the ship. And this must have been an older version, but it was still one of these cigar shaped craft that could go into outer space because all UFOs, all reports are if they're extraterrestrial, there's not a single rivet. In fact, the craft that they fly is sentient. That is why the ship's seats never have the big uh, windshield, but they're strapped into the chair and either wearing a headband or the suit they wear connects to the chair, connects to the ship, and the navigation system is done by the pilots with their mental psi abilities. Now that is pretty awesome. Yeah, that would be cool technology to roll out. Yeah, we are having that sort of technology come to the forefront already where you are being hooked up to a machine and your thoughts are sort of being read already. Well, there you go. That was the Montauk chair, which was basically pulled out of a out of a gray craft, a downed craft that they backward engineered because they understood that through that chair you could project mental images. And those were those Montauk experiments that took place in the uh, late 1980s. Yeah, so all this is sort of like MIT stuff, basically. Oh, it's pretty heady, and it, but it also incorporates not only alien technology. There were reports of Draco ET in Camp Hero, the underground base there. And I know Peter Moon, he's done a whole series of books on Montauk, and it, he still lives out there. He said, it'll take me on a tour anytime I want to go, and I do want to go. You should go out there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a good one. Just next time I'm in New York, but I'm kind of avoiding that state too. They just went. <laughs> yeah, they went nuts out there. Oh, they went nuts out there. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yes. And um, by the way, Brad, when you were out here uh, in the Los Angeles area the last time we talked, you had uh, mentioned you were doing some sort of recording uh, for a show. You were you were mentioned. Oh yeah, it was at uh, Disclosure Fest in L.A. And then a few days later, I was one of the first speakers at the Truth Tour that started in uh, Thousand Oaks. And they've already gone on Truth Tour number two, cross country, two times. Um, But I was also doing a bunch of interviews and, (coughs) excuse me, some TV stuff. COVID. Yeah, right. The coof. Yes, you um, now have COVID and uh, monkeypox. Where do I get a vaccine? Where uh, do I, somewhere. You can find it somewhere. Just line up for the next cabal-issued wackadoodle. Yesterday um, on the show, I was uh, talking about how I had contracted a monkeypox from a Jiffy Lube. Yeah. Because of what they did to, to my car. What'd they do? Well, they charged me an extraordinary amount of money, and I felt like I was uh, raped, basically, Brad. So I contracted oh. monkeypox. Oh. Oh. Poor guy. Yeah. I'm still recovering. <laughs> oh, well, my goodness. So, Brad, you know, when when are you going to be writing your next book? That's what I'm wondering here. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at 
possibilities, what I want to do. I might do uh, Antarctica. Been requested, and I know a lot about it, and went down there four years ago. I'm doing a, another presentation about it at conferences, probably debut it next year, called Birds Antarctica. Oh, okay. So going into yeah, all about birds trip, many trips down there, including Operation High Jump, yes. where yeah, our armada was routinely defeated by craft that came up out of the water. Some of this backward engineered technology that came out of the Third Reich at the end of World War II went down to South America and Antarctica primarily. And there's still debate among ufologists if those crafts were backward engineered Third Reich craft or if the reptilians were helping them out and they could make do better with their ships. And what's also being discussed is that they were led to that area of New Schwabenland in the late 1930s by interceding with the reptilian race and being given an old base of theirs. And that's what they were going to discover and then repopulate as the New Berlin city that uh, was proposed during World War II. In fact, Admiral Dolenz, who actually surrendered the fighting forces of Germany, Third Reich never surrendered. But when Hitler faked his death, he kept popping up all over South America, along with uh, his money man, Martin Bormann. And they financed a lot of corporations and became an intelligence arm. But Admiral Dolan said that we have created an impregnable fortress for the Fuhrer in a land of ice. So that's presumed to be this base 211, the new Berlin base in New Schwabenland. So if I were ever to go back, I'd like to go there. Very <laughs> Put nice. It on my wish list. Yes, let's let's talk about Antarctica for a moment here. You just mentioned the the, the Nazis and back in 1938 is uh when they went out there, they sent a large team of explorers, I believe. Oh yeah. A whole ship went down there, an icebreaker ship called the Schwabenland, that's where the name came from. And they dropped these uh these markers all around their land claim with a swastika on it. And then they uh, did an expedition inland and landed a seaplane on the Schumacher ponds, which are geothermal ponds. They never freeze. So he got the naming right, and he stayed behind with the boat measuring the water temperature and the thermocline while the team went into uh, this mountain range and they were out for about a week, came back, and they knew where they were meant to be. So then the U-boats were starting to come in, and they found uh, underneath Antarctica, and I show in my presentation the hidden anomalies of Antarctica. Antarctica without the ice has these long fjords underneath the ice. So these U-boat captains were able to navigate underneath the ice along these fjord lines which are also connected to a whole system of rivers and lakes underneath Antarctica, along with the geothermal features. You can imagine how they could create these otherworldly under ice domes of ice, but they were going, and I, I'm starting to lean towards getting this base that they could equip rather quickly because when operation high jump rolled around only a year and a half after the end of world war II it would appear that they were fully equipped to defend that base. And that's a short amount of time. 
to set up a whole city under the ice. Yeah. So the timing suggests that, yeah, that they were using some borrowed equipment and borrowed property. Yeah, it makes you wonder why on earth they would even go there to begin with. Who put that in their heads? Who yeah, sent them well, there? Yes, why did they even uh, go way the hell out there? I mean, who says, you know what, Let, let's go to Antarctica where it's a freezing cold and there's nothing around you. Let, let's go there. That's a perfect place. Unless you needed to hide out and not be seen from reconnaissance planes because when you're under the ice, it's a whole different world down there. A very different world. And oddly enough, just a few days ago, it might have been two days ago, I remember I came across an article that it, that said a super pressure sort of um like a like a 290 mile long river actually i remember is running yep. under the ice sheet that's what i read a couple of days ago yep that story just came out yep so that's pretty odd uh, real odd 300 mile nearly 300 mile long and it uh flows out under the wind wet lc which is that big uh u gap that's an ice shelf yes. between schwabenland and the palmer peninsula that's strange. The Nazis knew something. Oh, they knew a lot. They knew and a lot, they yes. They never surrendered. The uh, political arm, the Third Reich, never surrendered. They just went underground and created the Fourth Reich. And I have a chapter of that in Future Esoteric called The Fourth Reich in America. And keep in mind, South America is also part of the Americas. So when I was driving around in South America four years ago on my way down to Ushuaia to get on a sailboat to go to Antarctica, mm -hmm. I was also on track of hunting Hitler, just like the TV series, and went to a number of the locations that they fe featured in that uh, hit TV show that went three seasons, multiple, a dozen episodes or so every season. So 30-some episodes That's on hunting impressive. Hitler. And uh, yeah, he was out there, and I'm convinced he lived, and so are other people that I interviewed that say uh, there was an old chambermaid that lived near the Eden Hotel. She's still there, and she remembers Hitler and Eva Braun and even – their uh, German shepherd dog, Blondie, survived the war. Well, some people say the, the Germans didn't lose the World War II. You're right. We'll say that. Yes, and right. uh, Hitler uh, spent lots of time in Argentina, they say. Yeah, and I went to uh, close to where he was. He had a hideout. And the Hunting Hitler TV show did several episodes on the Elalco house, which is pretty close to uh, Bariloche in uh, central Patagonia in Antarctica. And it was amazing because they couldn't get permission to go to the house for the TV show. So they took a boat there oh, and wow. went ashore. Yeah, and they found uh, air ventilation systems suggesting there was a big underground base there. But more importantly, they found where the seaplane was at the Analco house that if they were being uh, invaded, they could have hurried Hitler out to the seaplane, took off on the lake, flown over the Andes Mountains, and landed in Chile an hour later. So they had an escape plan everywhere they went, too. They probably had underground tunnels, too, to help them uh, evade. And there's a whole system of underground tunnels in South America underneath spanning the Andes Mountains that extend from Colombia through Ecuador into Peru all the way down into uh, Chile. Uh, my friend David Hatcher Childress, he's a pretty frequent star on Ancient Aliens, he did a book called The Lost Cities of South America and he even has maps and has been to part. And one of the guys on my sailboat, Michael, that went down to Antarctica, Luke Dog, he went to one of the entrances. He heard 
from uh, someone in the hostel that they were going to do a trip to go into an opening that hadn't been plugged up yet. And would he like to go? And he said, oh, heck yeah. And of course. Got yeah. down in there. Yeah. Wow. So there are still entrances that lead into this network. And it is hundreds of miles long, even pops out all the way into Brazil down in South America. That's pretty wild. If only we could go there. We can go there. <laughs> I mean, everyone here in, in the chat room. <laughs> I, I wish we could take everyone out there. <laughs> field trip. Yeah, a major field trip. That'd be nice to get away from America for a while. Yeah, kind of would. I think we're getting a little kooky in this country. It's getting, we're, we're going too far. Yeah. I, I think humanity has already peaked. Wow. So what, do we devolve? I, I, I think so. I think we're sort of uh, de-evolving now. Huh. I'd like to think humanity still can pull it off. I, you know, I hope so. I'm not keeping my fingers crossed, though, Brad. <laughs> not the way things are looking. Yeah. Well, what do we do? We just keep on living our lives. Just, do the yeah. best we can. Keep on trucking the best we can. <laughs> and, uh, Brad, as you know, several years back, all of our world leaders, they all gathered in Antarctica. Yeah. What, but why? Just to see... A river bed just to see, you know, small fish floating around. What was the big deal? Penguins. Uh, yeah, they all went down in 2015, 2016, including Buzz Aldrin, who wrote a cryptic tweet that we have seen the face of evil and we're all doomed. Something along those lines. Right around the time that uh, the heir to the Ein's throne, <laughs> Mr. John Kerry, the Secretary of State, it's going down there on election day. Right. Uh, he might have more things to do for his uh, party up in the States, but no, he's down in Antarctica. And he went afield and went missing for a few days and uh, came back and flew out. And when he landed in Christchurch, they had a big earthquake there. Don't know if it's related, but uh, the, all the elites were going down there. The one exception at that time, rather than uh, doing kind of a secret mission and the Patriarch Krill was down there, too, and that had something to do with the uh, Ark of Gabriel. But the interesting one to me was the uh, Prince Harry went down with a bunch of his army buddies, but they went to the South Pole Amundsen-Scott Station and went cross-country skiing. Well, Michael, I can tell you the narrative is there's nothing that you could see on the polar plateau for hundreds of miles. Right except if he was going to see the giant gaping hole in the ice, which is very much top secret, but a royal like Harry might have caught wind of it and was able to uh, go see it. And that's the same hole that Admiral Byrd flew his plane into. Oh, yes, the hollow earth theory. That's it. By the way, one of the uh, photographs I have up right now in the chat room is, of, I guess, a depiction of the hollow earth there's like a waterfall and there's some um, ancient sort of uh, dinosaurs around, uh -huh. which is kind of, well, I don't believe that, but you know, um, I could see how something like that could exist somewhere, but yeah, not with, well, but not with, said he saw woolly mammoth down there, but not with that, a dinosaur. But I mean, he claims he saw woolly mammoth. Yes, it's possible. Megaflora megafauna underneath the ice of Antarctica. And while he was flying, his controls were taken over, and there is two hours of missing time when he just went blip off the radar. 
But when he was uh, flying down here in inner earth, the controls of his plane were taken over, and then he noticed uh, some escort craft near him with a swastika on it. And he's like, oh, boy, I'm in trouble now, and he couldn't control it. But they landed him, and some men with German accents escorted him into this emerald-like crystal city down there, so far advanced. We have nothing like it on the surface. And he was going to meet the master, and the master imparted on him that he was to take back a message that those of inner earth were not happy with America's recent bombing of Japan and the use of nuclear weapons. So he took that back and got back in his plane and they escorted him up. And then they said, you have control now. And he got control. And they said, goodbye in German. And then he flew out and he wrote two diaries. One was instantly confiscated by the Navy as soon as he got back, but the other he turned over to his son. And there is a hard-to-get book that I'm trying to get my hands on, which is the, the diary of Admiral Byrd and his experience in Inner Earth and a lot of other interesting facts about the continent. Is that hard to find? I think so. I just found out it was uh, published and it looks like a 1950s or 60s version oh. of a book. Oh, wow. Okay. So if any of your listeners know where to get it, uh, perhaps have, they yeah. can we send a link. That. And right. You got uh, to look on eBay or something. Maybe so. That might be the place to get it. Someone is saying, is it on a PDF? <laughs> um, no, there are books, and I have some of them, and one in German about the base and a, a – person who um, was down in there, but it's all in German, so I couldn't read it, but part of it was in English, including the, they must have excerpted from another book, showing the fjord and the ice region of uh, the New Berlin base, so I found that interesting. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, and um, Brad, you know, I don't want to keep you here too long um, you know, I kind of wish we went over some more of this uh, material here of of the uh, presentation, the early mapping and uh, building race. Uh, maybe we, we can talk just a little bit about that before sure. I cut you loose here. This is a presentation I gave at the Gaia Sphere in September because I find Earth history, everything being so much older and older, dated to other civilizations, but that's being withheld from us because they want to make us seem like we're this unique species that evolved through Darwinian evolution. But the evidence is the contrary. And, and in this presentation, I show some of the maps that were created, some of the earliest maps, starting with the Pyrrhus Reese map in 1513. That's just a mere 21 years after Columbus's first voyage. And here it is showing the outline of South America very accurately, several hundred years before. That was fully known, uh, but also the coastline of Antarctica with islands that could be presumably still under the ice. And then in this presentation, I go through a couple other early maps that also show Antarctica. And why is there a common theme here to have a continent that wasn't fully discovered until 1821? So it's only 201 years ago that the first whaler and seal ships were coming down after Captain Cook circumnavigated 
the Southern Ocean, but never caught sight of land nor stepped ashore, didn't even know it existed. So the map actually disappeared from uh, global maps after Cook's reporting that he circumnavigated the Southern Ocean. And then it reappeared as soon as the whalers and sealers who had read the account he gave in his uh, biography and ship notes saying that there was such rich, abundant sea mammals down there. So the hunters went down there to get the whales and the seals, and they're the ones who discovered Antarctica in 1821. So when you think about how the Piri Reese map says it's sourced mapped from older maps dating to the Library of Alexandria, and maps and cartography was the most revered profession of its age during the age of discovery, that this information got passed on and on and on from the time of the Library of Alexandria. So I also make a case in this presentation that there was a builder race. And the oldest architecture you'll find on this planet, and it's really worldwide, is this polygonal architecture. Polygon meaning many angles, but perfectly fitted boulders together, rarely ever with any kind of mortar, just so expertly placed together. And the oldest stuff is the biggest stuff. And these are the megalithic, even cyclopean architecture that can be found in locations worldwide. And finally, in this presentation, I take a little journey underwater to show that there are quite a few archaeological sites that are below sea level. Now, how do you build anything below sea level, especially megalithic or carved out of a giant rock cliff face, as in Yonaguni in the southern Okinawa island chain of Japan? I want to go scuba dive down there. That That is very doable, and that one has only been recently discovered, as well as many other underwater sites do you go uh, do you go scuba diving regularly by the way brad oh, yeah. well not regularly but i'm i have my certification i don't even know how you people can do that you know i tried scuba diving before uh out, out by uh, laguna beach by the way i went out there trying to uh, scuba dive uh, many moons be many moons ago and man I, I was scared shitless by the way i, I was um freaking out yeah, you can't freak out. That, that's the problem. I, I see all kinds of uh, life out there in the ocean. You know, you see all these fish out there. And uh, my heart is just uh, racing a mile a minute thinking I'm going to get attacked by a shark. Yeah, you can't freak yourself out. I've, I've seen sharks. I've even been face to face with a pretty big uh, white tip shark, which are harmless. Oh, you got to know that. But in a cave, in a lava tube cave in Maui, can you imagine swimming around a corner and there's Oof. a... 12 foot reef Yikes. shark just sitting there and well, we turned around and left that that would freak me out yeah yeah and the the, the manta rays are kind of weird too because they breathe with their mouth open they look like they're gonna jump out and take a bite at you the more eels i mean yeah you're a brave man brad the manta rays can kill you too that's what killed the crocodile hunter guy steve Irwin. yeah he tried to swim with one and it took its stingray and went right into his heart yes i I don't like those things now because they uh, took Steve Irwin, uh, my hero. Yeah, he was a good guy. He's a good guy, really good guy. And by the way, on the screen, it says some scholars have long claimed that a world civilization existed thousands of years ago, long before Egypt. So that's where that's where we're at right now on the screen. Yeah, that that's pretty much how I start this presentation to present the evidence that there's 
above water, below water, and ancient sea maps that showed that there was a civilization that knew the circumference of the earth, the continents, the layout, and these very advanced building skills. And um, you don't believe in the flat earth, do you? We do have some flat earthers out there. I know they're in the chat room probably right now. Um, you're, you don't believe in that, correct? Or do well, you? I can't believe in it because I've been... You've been there. You've been to Antarctica. Within a degree of Antarctica Circle. I stepped foot on the continent. I've been in the northern climes to close to the Arctic Circle. And I've been around the world at the equator in one direction. So everything points to spherical planet. I'm sorry, uh, Chad Room. He's not a flat earther. Uh-uh. Did a, a debate with Flat Earth Dave for about two hours. Oh, God. Let's look that up. I'll present <laughs> all the evidence, and there's so much more. You know, he was on the show one time, and it was brutal. A one and done, I bet. That's how I felt. Oof. It yeah. was a bit of a waste of time, I would say. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. When you start repeating yeah. the same arguments, <laughs> even though you've been debunked, uh, yeah, it's a waste of time. It really is. It really is a waste of time. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry if I have offended all the flat earthers out there, but... No, we're not looking at a flat Earth map, in case you wondered. Yeah. And anybody, uh, contactees or people in the space program, anybody who's looked down on the planet, they're all, they're all round. All planets are round. It's just the way it is. Don't think Earth's an exception. It, it really is a psyops, and this is what people have to understand, that nobody was talking about flat Earth 15, 20 years ago, but all of a sudden it just pops up with some really well-made – uh, so funding must have gone into those videos. Great videos, but it yeah. It has been traced back to the Jesuits that they put the psyops out there, so that we argue over something nonsensical rather than getting to the real meat of the matter, like who controls the world right. under the Anunnaki <coughs> Jesuits and does so many nefarious things they don't want us to know about. So argue over something that doesn't make sense. Yeah, unfortunately, there are lots of people like that out there. And it's now, all about the narrative. It's my all friend. about yes. It's all about the narrative. And now we're looking at a um, the slide that says maps of the ancient sea kings. Oh yeah, great book by uh, Hapgood with all the evidence of these early maps. That's how I started the presentation. Uh, just encourage people to to pick up that book if they're a cartographer or a mapaholic like I am. Great book and showing you a lot of these early maps and. Great research by Charles Hapgood in that book. Yeah, go pick that up, people. And um, Brad, you know, I really appreciate you being here on the program. And uh, I know there's so many more slides to go through here. And I know our time is sort of diminishing as we uh, speak here. But, you know, you also told me about Morgellons before. Yeah, there's another one, 21st century disease. Um, kind of thinking it has some... Um, Something to do with graphene oxide, something to do with chemtrail spraying. It's been found in uh, heavy spray days, and it's self-assembling nanobots. And you yourself um, had gone through this before. Yep. I've had an affliction, and it's like nothing else I've ever experienced. It is like something alive that uh, has never been around before. It's, it was only just first diagnosed in the late 1990s. And corresponding with the time of the chemtrailing, 
Um, and also with the time of the decade before was when the Brits went down to the Falkland Islands War. Remember that? Yes. 1982? Right. Well, you can look on Wikipedia and the battalion broke off into two. Did you know that there were two fronts in the Falkland Wars? I didn't know that. Well, the second war was to get the South Sandwich Islands. Southernmost island was Tule Island, where there was a base of the Argentinians. They were working with the black goo. When it's kept in a frozen environment, it can be controlled and it doesn't come to life. It's a form of artificial life. It's a form of sentience. And right around that time, they, well, they, they surrendered. The Falkland War was at South Tule Island, and eight scientists put up a white flag, and the Falkland Wars ended there. Then the Brits confiscated the black goo and took it up to the Marconi Laboratories in London to try to backward engineer it. And in the mid and late 1980s, all these scientists that worked for Marconi Laboratories started to die mysteriously, and it got loose. So I think that might have something to do with the Morgellons crisis as well. And it's even starting to pop up in animals. So this thing has gotten loose and it's going to be a scourge on this planet until we figure out how to get rid of it. So it's, it's pronounced Morgellons, actually. You could pronounce it Morgellons or Morgellons is my preferred way of saying it. I've seen some people um, with these strange um, sort of sores and these sort of uh, worm-like things coming out of them. That's it. That's what that is, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's a form of life, a silicon-based life, and it's been festooned upon the human race, upon the whole world. Why, why is there so uh, many doctors that say that that's not a real condition? Why do they say that? Delusional parasitosis. I'm like, well, I see it right there physically, yet you claim it's not real. Right. So when I stopped going to the dermatologist in yeah. San Francisco is when they said, it's all in your head. Mm. We want to put you on psych meds. What? And I said, I've never been <laughs> on a psych med. Well, I did Ritalin for one week when I was a kid and just yeah. begged to get off it. I hated it. Can't stand those things. And, and I said, you really think this is in my head? I'm showing you. I brought in samples. Let's put it under a microscope and take a look together. They wouldn't have it. So this is about a decade ago. I hope they've advanced their thinking here. Because no, they no, they have a total I, I, disservice. No, they they have not at all. I mean, I know mm -hmm. someone who was uh, inflicted by this. Maybe, um, well, they've been inflicted by by uh, by this sort of condition for maybe over two three years now. And they had just mentioned it to me uh, like two months ago, and they went to a doctor and. They said it was uh, nothing. That's not a real sort of condition, they said. Well, if you want the alternative perspective, I write a chapter in Beyond Esoteric called Morgellon Nanobots. And I take my best uh, strike at trying to get to the bottom of this and let people know what it's all about, how they got it, and how to get rid of it. And so for me, I'm looking at detox as being a lifelong endeavor that it's never gonna end. Because they have poisoned us with GMOs in the soil, chemtrails in the air, fluoride in the water. And they're just hitting us with so many different modalities to make us weak and unhealthy and even kill us off. So I'd say this also to people who have gotten the wackadoodle, for one, never take ever an injection ever again of that kind. 
they've totally lost all credibility in my book, but start to think about detoxing your body. And what has worked very well for me is an infrared sauna because you can sweat this stuff out, including heavy metals, which have been introduced. should never have heavy metals in a body, but right. humans are riddled with this stuff. Very uh, good, yes. Baths with uh, borax. So borax can also be, uh, you can drink a little bit of it. It's the one element that breaks down the nanobots that can actually uh, dissolve it in the body and sometimes even topically, but it's a little painful to rub it in. So I'll do uh, love my cup of coffee in the morning, sprinkle a little baking soda on top of your coffee grinds, just a pinch. You won't even taste it, but you'll change your your acidic drink into an alkaline drink. And I also put in some diatomaceous earth, and then that helps flush it out through the uh, intestinal area. Because most diseases start in the stomach and in the intestines, including Morgellons, finds its way in first through our lungs, but then it gets into the stomach and digestive tract, and that's when it combines and creates these artifacts that are popping up all over the place, uh, especially with uh, people who have uh, taken that wackadoodle. Oh, my. So By the way. This is also um, a way to, yeah, to detoxify the graphene oxide and some of the other nastiness. By the way, um, Brad, Daryl in the chat says, I had suffered for 12 years from Morgellons. And he um, did the ozone infrared spa and it worked, he said. Absolutely. Good for him. Way to go. I'm glad to hear that. We need more success stories like that because I do know and I've met people who are just losing hope that uh, that they're ready to be depopulated or something. Yeah, yeah, like, you, no, we can't. You know, a few years ago, I would uh, be thinking, yeah, that's not a real sort of thing that's happening. Uh, but I've seen a few people now that have this sort of condition. And it's, it's, it's very real to me now. As it should be because oh, it's real. It's the true scourge on the planet. And there's a lot of people that are suffering that have no help from modern medicine or dermatology. And uh, it, it's very depressing. You know, the folk singer Joni Mitchell had it. And she used the term associating it with an alien fiber. Ooh. She said it was introduced wow. through... Uh, some malevolent ET group that wants to control or kill us by using it. So if you don't know the enemy you're trying to fight, if you don't even know what it is, how can you ever imagine that you're going to win? Right. So you got to know what this stuff is. That's why programs like yours and the material I bring out in the esoteric book series is really important to people because I want to help people understand this and to do what they can do to make themselves live longer and and happy and disease free and to cut out all this stuff that's been introduced into our bodies. Yes, absolutely. Well said. And of course, you are listening to the sound of Mr. Brad Olson, the author of the book Beyond Esoteric Escaping Prison Planet. And of course, that's part of the Esoteric Series. You can go to esotericseries.com or bradolson.com and Get more information on what's Brad, what Brad is up to and his new work, where he's going to be at, maybe what shows you can hear him on, like this one here. And yeah. uh, Brad, I do want to thank you again for being a part of the program. It's always a honor and pleasure. I learn so much when you're here. And my goodness, Brad, um, people will definitely enjoy this episode as much as I did. 
And I invite you to be back on the show again in the near future. Well, we, we didn't get much into the early maps and the builder race, and there's so much more to tell about that. There's so a lot, Maybe we yes. should do a part two on this. Yeah, we'll do a part two, and we'll get back into this, and uh, we'll talk more about these ancient maps, and we'll get into all kinds of uh, funky things here. Hey, sounds good, Michael. Always great to talk to you, and thanks for having me on again. Yes, thank pleasure. you. Thank you so much, uh, Brad, and we'll do it again on the other side, my friend, and I'll cut you loose now. Have a good night, and uh, take care of yourself out there, Brad. You too, Michael. Bye-bye. Good night. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was Mr. Brad Olson. I wasn't sure um, what was going to happen here once I closed this little window, but all is well in the hood. Um, Once again, boys and girls, thank you so much for being a part of the program. It was so much fun. I do want to thank Brad for being here. And of course, I want to thank all of you for stopping in and listening to this program. And if anything resonated with you here tonight, definitely hit that subscribe button or find us on the podcast rendition of this program by searching the Michael Deacon program. You'll find us wherever you listen to um, podcasts. That's where uh, you should do. And that's where you should go. Look us up. iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, what have you. And I do want to thank the uh, mods out there. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. We got to thank Jesus, of course, and all the newer listeners out there. Thank you very much for hanging out with us here tonight. That concludes tonight's broadcast. And of course, I am Michael Deacon, a friendly voice in the nighttime or the daytime, wherever you may be on this island earth. Just remember, we are here for all of you. And, you know, we do this show. We have fun every now and then. We say outrageous things. I say insane things that can get normal people shot. And of course, yes, I do get the death threats all the time. People want me dead. They don't know that, you know, we're having fun. We say these things in passing. Yet that really pisses people off. But what can you do? What can you do in this uh, crazy world we live in but laugh and enjoy ourselves while we sort of enjoy the end times? That's all we can do here. But once again, I do want to thank you, uh, chat, all of you out there in the chat room. Much love and respect to all of you. And again, folks, we'll do this again very, very soon. I'm not sure exactly when we'll do this maybe maybe on saturday i'll return with mike who really knows but i do wish all of you the very best in your future endeavors and with that said the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery until next time good night